Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. I hope that you're having a great day. It's your host, Eric Rieger, soon to be joined by my awesome co-host, Dr. Kenneth Brown. It's time for episode number 65. Guess what? If you're a coffee drinker, you're going to love this episode. If you've ever thought about becoming a coffee drinker, you're going to love this episode. If you don't like coffee, you might end up liking coffee after this episode. That's right. Coffee is and can be healthy. It sure can. And specifically, this episode talks about coffee and why it can protect your brain, your brain health, possibly even fend off diseases such as Alzheimer's, etc. So when you think of coffee and the benefits, almost immediately, it's intuitive. People are like, uh, it's probably the caffeine. Well, caffeine does help pep you up, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. There's actually a completely different scientific method that is uh, not much to do with caffeine that literally allows your brain to protect itself. So we will get into that. But before we do, let's get to our sponsors. Autron Teal, uh, of course, that's Autron Teal, developed by my co-host, Dr. Kenneth Brown. Get your daily polyphenols with Autron Teal. Go to lovemytummy.com. And you've heard me say this before. Check it out. You can save 20% by using code GCP at lovemytummy.com. That's right. Get your own polyphenols today. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete, somebody worried about brain health, and, uh, or somebody just worried about their own gut health. That's right. It was developed for bloating and symptoms related to IBS. Atron Teal's been on the market now for a full six years, and it's not slowing down. It's catching on and effectively... People are learning about the benefits of polyphenols, and we appreciate everyone who writes in and tells us their great stories. I'm a user of Autron Teal myself and have been essentially ever since Autron Teal launched, and it has made a positive impact in my life, and I am certain that if given a chance, it can do it for you as well. Lovemytummy.com. And of course, we're coming up on the holidays. You need some special foods, some special desserts, some special breads, because you have to adhere to a diet that's keto or gluten-free. Well, don't settle for something that's not going to taste great. Get online and look up unrefinedbakery.com. That's unrefinedbakery.com. You will have a difficult time finding the very safe for you celiac disease folks Desserts such as pumpkin pie, apple pie, crust, make your own pie. They've got cupcakes, they've got breads, they've got the mix, which some people nickname crack because it's so tasty. Yeah, that's right. Unrefinedbakery.com has delicious food that's actually healthy and safe for you or your special diet. Use code GUTCHECK and save 20% off your entire first order. That's unrefinedbakery.com. And last but not least, don't ever forget to go to kbmdhealth.com. That's kbmdhealth.com. You can get your very own Dr. Brown fully endorsed CBD, both available in natural and cinnamon, as well as any of the signature packages, which include Atron Teal along with CBD. And you can also find Broccoli. That's Daily sulforaphanes. You can have daily sulforaphanes, CBD for your endocannabinoid system, as well as polyphenols, and put yourself on a road to healthy happiness. Okay, without wasting any more time, let's get to episode number 65. It's time to learn why coffee is awesome.
KBMB Health Family and Gut Check Project fans, welcome. It's now time for episode number 65, and we have an interesting topic today. If you like coffee and if you don't like to forget stuff, Ken? Yeah, so episode 65, I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. And yeah, we're going to talk coffee today. Why coffee? Well, because as it turns out, uh, some people think coffee's good for you. Some people think coffee's bad for you. I happen to drink a ton of coffee. There's a lot of other people out there that drink a ton of coffee. Um, do you know who drinks a, a just absolute shit ton of coffee? Is that the musician George Clinton? Interesting. Yeah. I, I think know he's if that's true or not, but he is sharp of mind and is 80 years old. Dude, every time he's in town, he calls me up and he says, let's grab a cup of Joe. I'm kind of pissed that you didn't tell me he called you. <laughs> well, <clears throat> and then when you and I hooked up, so George Clinton, what are some of the songs that he did? Some of the songs that I saw George Clinton do? That you saw George Clinton I do did. on stage. How old is George Clinton? 80. 80 years old. The guy's killing it. And our good friend Eric Rieger saw George Clinton recently live. If you're 80 and you're still performing like that, <laughs> it's got to be about the coffee. Yeah, it has to be about something. Uh, he, he was highly entertaining, smiling the whole time. Uh, yeah, if you like... If you like funk music, if you're even into hip-hop, you'll, you'll hear some of the hooks that are in current-day hip-hop, especially in the late 80s and 90s. Um, songs like Flashlight, Atomic Dog, uh, Tear the Roof Off the Sucker, all that stuff. He, he played everything. And uh, so he was up on stage for about an hour and 20 minutes. And Texas Tech had hired uh, the Parliament Funkadelic and George Clinton to perform as a pregame entertainment on campus. That I don't know if they knew how many people would show up, but essentially it was over 3,000 people crammed into an area, jumping around, having a good time, and it was, honestly, it was awesome. You are welcome. Um, yeah, thanks, because, for, thanks for ironing that out. Well, 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 here's why. George and I were having coffee. Oh, were you? <laughs> and he rolled out a map. After 80 years, he had, little, he had little dots of everywhere he's been and performed. And I was like, man, you've been everywhere. I'm like, oh, you've never been to Lubbock, Texas. Yeah. I said, you should perform there. And then you came back and go, guess who was in Lubbock? George Clinton. And I went, okay. I didn't, I didn't want to like ruin it, but yeah, him and I had discussed that. I'm going to ruin something for you because he's been to Lubbock before. Oh. I didn't make it. <laughs> so, but no, it, it really was. It was great. And uh, of course, Gage was in school at the time when we went out. And uh, but he enjoyed it. We, we had a good time. It was fun. That's awesome. Yeah, we have a, so the, in my household, we had just a, a little bit of a scare with my 80-year-old mom, where I'm just sitting there casually talking to her. Uh, the, the Lucas and Lloyd were going to this big tennis tournament the following day after Thanksgiving, so it was just a real intimate just wow. with us four, called Eddie Her. but so I'm talking to my mom, and she's just like, uh, this is the week before. She's like, yeah, you know, I've lost like uh, 40 pounds in the last two and a half months. And I, being a doctor, the first thing I think of, it's funny because when my sister Claudia and I were talking about it, she's like, well, I didn't think about that at all. That's not what I thought 40 about. 40 pounds. Yeah, 40 pounds. And I'm, as a doctor, it's when somebody loses 40 pounds, it's a weight loss workup, which means, oh no, where is the badness in the body? Meaning, do you have cancer and is it going on? So I do the whole thing where I'm, I said, you need to go to your doctor, get CAT scans everywhere, let's get some blood work, let's make sure nothing's going on. And fortunately, everything is completely negative. And then That's she, great news. And then she let it slip. She's just like, I'm like, Mom, I don't understand why you're losing weight. She's like, well, I guess it has something to do with the fact that I can't smell or taste anything. What? 
Did she tell this to anybody? I don't know. I didn't tell it to my sister because when I called her and said, Claudia, do you know that mom can't smell or taste? She goes, no. And it came on abruptly two and a half months before and she just decided that food just was no longer enjoyable and just kind of huh. quit eating. What could it be associated with? Is there anything in the public domain that people have talked about with loss of sense of smell? I don't know. I don't know. Acute uh, ammonia explosions can do that. There's uh, puffer fish ingestion will destroy the olfactory nerves as well. But she doesn't eat puffer fish She does not eat puffer fish, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it is quite possible that my 80-year-old mom had COVID, came and went, didn't even realize it, not so much as even a stuffy nose or anything. And she feels great, which is just, so that was my little scare of 80. So, once again, my mom drinks a shit ton of coffee. Oh, here we go. Uh, George has never been in town when my mom's in town. They would they would probably hit it off discussing <laughs> being 80 and drinking lots of coffee. Well, but, they graduated at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's kind of what's happened in our house. So, uh, the typical stuff. But um, but your mom's doing fine now. No, she didn't have any issues at all, and it's just weight loss. And when I, when I pinned her down, it was, I just don't like food. And this but is I will somebody. Say, I'm going to brag on you a little bit, though. Your mom listens to you. She actually, for the most part, listens to the show. And um, I know that she's taken some of the preventative things that we kind of outlined from last year's COVID series. So, and she's did you did she stick to that? She has been religious about it. Maybe we were onto something. Ah, uh, yeah, maybe we are. And so it all comes down to several things, which is. If you lead a healthy lifestyle, do the things that we talk about, maybe if you are exposed to a virus like COVID, that possibly your body can get it, recover, control the inflammatory response, and move on. And if this is the only thing, which now we need to work on getting it all back. So now I've got her on a regimen of smelling like very classic things. So this is really interesting. I've been doing some reading on this, on this olfaction, the olfaction, the, the term that we smell. One of the things is it's closely tied to memories, which is why you can smell a perfume or a cologne and oh, you're like, yeah. oh, that's my old you know, girlfriend or whatever. Or you can smell <laughs> something that reminds me of my grandma's house. And so what you're supposed to do, at least what some people are recommending, is that when somebody loses their sense of smell due to COVID, you're supposed to take very familiar things that are very pungent, like garlic or smelling salts smelling salts or whatever (laughs) yeah and you're supposed to retrain your brain on that which is fascinating to me that you can basically it's not that it's completely damaged you now you just need to connect the two and get your mind realizing that it's smelling that i'm gonna mispronounce it but i learned of a new food today and maybe that's what she should be smelling the lit lit the fish the, the, the thing that Dr. Item eats every year in Minnesota. He's from Minnesota, so they eat this weird fish. That's what, what is it called? <laughs> Luf, Lufkish? Loot? I don't know. I don't, I don't endorse uh, it, but I'm going to try it. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> if somebody is fr- of Norwegian descent and they grew up eating that and you lose your sense of smell, it's probably a really good thing to try and smell because I don't think you can avoid it. I think it will. That may be the cure to this, actually. It smells so bad, I'm told, what that it could cure. What if your mom would like to try that right now? She's primed. <laughs> Just she's perfect. Ship her a bunch of fish soaked in lye. Yeah, and if she's like, this is wonderful, Ken. <laughs> just be like, you still can't smell anything. There's the Lufka fish people are sitting with the whole warehouse full and they're like, wait a minute, we're going to have a resurgence. No one's supposed to like that. 
<laughs> and we're totally mispronouncing it, but yeah, I don't even know what the heck it is. It's some fish that they do and that they that it from, um, I guess early times when winter would come, you had to have food, you couldn't grow anything, so they would just soak all the fish in lye, and then they could ship it anywhere they wanted around the world, and then it would still be okay to eat because it was preserved in lye. Yeah. Sounds tasty. Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. So George Clinton, mom, no smell, and we're talking about a weird fish that we have no idea how to pronounce. So. No, now I'm totally interested. Uh, one of our more exciting intros. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it, we didn't know where it was going. Yeah. Um, but it, this this episode is actually pretty cool because one of the things we always talk about is we're talking about George Clinton, 80 years old, still up there performing. We're talking about my mom, who's 80. And still just super sharp, has her wits about her. And that's ultimately our goal. If we talk about our why, we know that the purpose of life is to experience life. And as we age, if you take away the memory of this, then it is a life wasted in my mind. That's how I feel. So I want to stop the epidemic of dementia. Absolutely. No, having people in in, uh, my family and certainly in my wife's family that have dealt with dementia it's painful it's painful to watch somebody with full capacity and otherwise healthy being not be present because their mind simply isn't the disease isn't their body it isn't their bones their muscles their ability to breathe it's they can't think the way that they once did and much like everybody has a threshold on what's not living but not being able to have mental awareness and capacity is not really living you're you you're alive but it's it's just your body my and i guess what i said by if you develop dementia it's a life wasted that's a very harsh way to explain what i really feel which is ultimately we're here to experience life definitely and then as you develop these memories you develop skills you can share them to the next generation if you don't have that ability, that's what I mean by it's you can go through all these things. And if you don't remember what happened, you can't share it to the next generation. I try to teach my kids, and this is the type of philosophy that I have. I don't like things. I don't like to spend money on stuff. But I do like to spend money on memories because I believe a memory is invaluable. And when we, as a society, are dealing with more and more dementia or the lack of ability to recall the life that you had, or the lack of ability to take care of your daily needs. Yeah, It's my urgency. At my age, I want to make sure that everyone around me, we can sit around and laugh and tell old stories. And that's really important to me because I have my mom's 80 now, and she can do that. We talk about stories, and I would love for everyone to be able to do that with, with their parents. And we've had close friends that their parents have died, uh, you know, of having severe Alzheimer's dementia and things like that. And so that's what we want to talk about today because there's a tie to coffee. Let's do it. I like coffee. I mean, you and I both are, are uh, routine French pressers of coffee. Yes. And it it's, in my opinion, it's one of the best ways to enjoy some of your favorite coffee uh, is a French press. It really is. So one of the things that I really like to do, or one of the things that a lot of um, people that have been extremely successful have discussed, like mm-hmm. Tim Ferriss when he did his Tools of Titans book, mm-hmm. almost every one of his successful people he interviewed, they have a morning, they have a morning ritual slash routine. My morning routine is to put on Brain FM, yeah, put on Focus Creative, get my French press out, boil the water, get while I'm there waiting for the boil, put the coffee in. 
I cut it with a little bit of potassium salt because it cuts a little of the acidity. Mm -hmm. Turn on my computer when I do this, and it's all part of this rhythm of the morning, and then I'm up. And I'm ready to do my charts and do things and then try and hit the gym before we have a full day of work. Yeah. So this whole process to me is fundamental to my daily routine. And if you said that coffee is bad for you, then it would be really difficult for me to stop that because it's part of my routine. And there have been several studies which have argued whether drinking coffee is good for you or bad for you. When sure. I was in medical school, there was a question of coffee causing pancreatic cancer ultimately disproven, but when I was in med school, we were like, whoa, because we were all drinking coffee like crazy because sure. you're working 100 hours a week. Yeah. So this is the really exciting thing is that there have been a couple studies that have just come out recently, and it made the news. I actually did not get the journal article first. One of our nurses, Tom, yeah. said, hey, did you see this? It was on the news this morning. I'm like, no, but that is right in my wheelhouse. Let's talk about that. Yeah, great topic, Tom Finney, by the way. Yes, uh, this is a great find. So ultimately, what they were looking at here is there's a study that came out that looked at a large cohort of people, and they were looking at the amount of coffee and tea in relation to two major diseases of the brain, strokes mm. and dementia. Yeah. Very well done article. It was recently published in the Open, open Access Journal of the of PLO Us Medicine, which is an early online journal before it makes it into whatever journal it actually gets accepted, which is fascinating because really ever since COVID, we're now getting articles out there quicker so that we can get to this get to this information quicker, which I really like that. Yeah. Because before that you had to wait for it to be to absolutely be put in print. But now we have things that are being put out there with organizations like the PLOS uh, S medicine. Uh, what they said was the title of the article is drinking coffee was associated with a lower risk of post Strokes and dementia. So don't have to get into it too much, but strokes are life-threatening events uh, which cause 10% of deaths globally. So it is legitimate. It's out there. And dementia is just a general term for symptoms related to a decline in brain function. And this is a global pandemic also because it's happening at increasing rates in every society in all nations. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. It doesn't matter of any of that. But what we do know is, is that it is increasing. So researchers out of China were looking at a huge pool of people called the UK Biobank, which is awesome because this UK Biobank is they keep track of a lot of people. They just have stats on all different kinds of things. They looked at uh, 30, 365,000 participants who were actually recruited between 2006 and 2010, a ginormous study, and they followed them all the way through 2020. The participants were asked about their dietary uh, intakes, and specifically, they asked about coffee and tea intake. And over the study period, 5,080 participants developed dementia, and 10,053 experienced at least one stroke. Okay. So they wanted to look at those people and go, okay, of the people that had the strokes and dementia, was there any defining characteristic? Mm -hmm. And what they realized is that people who drank two to three cups of coffee or three to five cups of tea per day, or a combination thereof, had the lowest incidence of stroke or dementia. And individuals who drank two to three cups of coffee and two to three cups of tea daily had a 32% lower risk of stroke and a 28% lower risk of dementia compared to those that drank less than that. So there's definitely a dose correlation. 
So when they published this, they concluded that intake of coffee alone or in combination with tea was also associated with a lower risk of both stroke and dementia. And they added, quote, our findings suggested that moderate consumption of coffee and tea, either separately or in combination, were associated with significantly lower risks of stroke and dementia, which was a very fascinating article that made national news and it made all the national news headlines, Mm -hmm. but they didn't talk about why. Yeah. That was the issue. That was sort of the problem I had with it is that they did not discuss the well, what is it about coffee? Is it the caffeine? Is it the so tannins? I, is it the, the tannins? Am I, am I looking into it? And so I did find a study in 2018 in JAMA Genomics, and the study talks about the benefit of drinking coffee. And the premise of this was that there's lots of contradictory information about coffee out there. Just sure. like I said, yeah, some articles sure. are saying that it possibly is associated with pancreatic cancer. So this group in 2018 took the same UK biobank, this large-scale biobank, and did the exact same thing. And they looked at half a million participants since 2006. And what they did is that they showed that regular consumption of coffee fends off death from all causes. So the one that made the news recently is no stroke or dementia. But then I found one in 2018, very similar, half a million people, and they showed that it decreased death from all causes. Now, they've looked at different research projects involving hundreds of thousands of participants, and they were able to conclude that we have found studies that showed that drinking coffee reduces chronic liver disease. Drinking coffee prevents cardiac arrhythmias, and drinking coffee improves long-term heart health. So these studies talked about the benefits of it, Mm -hmm. still did not find the why. Yeah, no cause. There's no cause. They're just saying, look at this. If you drink coffee, this is what's going to happen. So then, and I just go down these rabbit holes because this is what you have to do. And this is what what we want to do on this show. We want to sit there and say, well, just because the news says this, what does the study look like? (laughs) Where is it at? And then let's talk about the why and make more sense of it. (laughs) So in the same year, 2018, an article came out of Japan, okay. and it's titled, Do Coffee Polyphenols Have a Preventative Action on Metabolic Syndrome Associated Endothelial Dysfunction? An Assessment of the Current Evidence. Fancy title. What that means is, do the polyphenols in coffee prevent metabolic syndrome, which is diabetes, hypertension, and obesity? Mm-hmm. And does it help with the endothelium? We discussed nitric oxide in prior episodes. The endothelium is the lining of your blood vessels. When we look at all-cause mortality, strokes, dementia, heart attacks, kidney failure, all related to endothelial dysfunction. Yeah. So these, this Japanese study looked at this specifically to say, is it the polyphenols in it? Which I love this part. So what they wanted to see is what is the possible protective effect of coffee against components of this metabolic syndrome, including the blood vessel impairment, obesity, and diabetes. What they did discuss is that coffee contains many components, including caffeine, which has been implicated, oh, well, I'll just drink more Red Bulls and then I'll go ahead and take care of it. Yeah. And I've actually heard patients say that, well, I don't drink coffee, but I do do Diet Coke, so I'm sure that if coffee's <laughs> good for you, Diet Coke's good for you also. Um, chlorogenic acid terpenes, which we've discussed terpenes before, and 
what they found is that a polyphenol in coffee, which is the chlorogenic acid, has the most health-promoting properties, such as antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer, anti-diabetes, and anti-hypertensive okay. properties. Now, chlorogenic acid just happens to be one of the smaller phenolic compounds mm-hmm. that they were able to isolate out of coffee. There's other polyphenolic compounds in there. This is the one that they decided to look at. And what it is, it's just a biologically active polyphenol. It does play a few important roles, such as the other roles that we always discuss of polyphenols with the anti-inflammatory, neuroprotective, anti-obesity, antiviral, so on and so on. So this is the molecule that they decided to focus on on this article. They said, wait a minute, it's none of these other things. It looks like it's the polyphenol content in coffee. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to go down that, that hole. This is really interesting because coffee is actually a major source of this polyphenol, and it happens to be one of the most common polyphenols in the Japanese diet. Very similar to Americans, where Michael Pollan in his book, um, remember he did the whole series on Netflix, and he yeah. did he did his book recently on the psychedelics and plant medicine. He mentioned that Americans tend to get most of their polyphenols from coffee consumption. And I thought that was unique to us, but as it turns out, the Japanese do the same thing. It's coffee and green tea are the two most common things that they get their polyphenols from. So if we look at this, the total polyphenol intake from beverages in Japan, Mm -hmm. green tea, which everybody talks about as being antioxidant and everybody, you know, there's so so many supplements that are green tea extracts and everything. Green tea, the average, a glass of of polyphenols in green tea, the average amount is 115 milligrams per 100 milliliters. Okay. And the percent of Japanese that drink green tea is 34% okay. of the total population. Okay. Coffee has 200 milligrams per 1,000 milliliters. All right. Higher polyphenol content than green tea. Fascinating. Yeah. And the percentage of Japanese that drink coffee is 50%. So the total polyphenol consumption from coffee in the average Japanese diet is 426 milligrams a day. This makes up over 50% of the total polyphenols consumed in the Japanese diet. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So just strictly from coffee and and green tea consumption, at least for the population of the Japanese that that drink both or either of those. Either or both, yeah. Yeah, either or both that more than half of their daily consumption of polyphenols is coming strictly from the drinks. And of course they eat, um, it's a blue Japan's a blue zone. It is. They eat a lot of different foods and varieties. And a lot of them are based in plants or seaweed or K or kelp, not kale, but kelp and different things like that, that also possess high levels of polyphenols. So it's really interesting that they're getting more than half of that, knowing that the rest of their diets usually Pretty well made up of great foods as well. So one of the things that I've read about with the Japanese culture that like in the blue zone, like Okinawa, Mm -hmm. one of the things they do is they meet socially. So tea is a social event. Yeah. Meeting for coffee is a social event. So there's absolutely nothing wrong for saying, let's go meet for a cup of coffee. Isn't that interesting though, that intuitively I can remember there not really being a high presence of coffee shops at a point in time when I was younger and I lived in a rural town. So they're really, but my dad and his friends would meet at diners yeah. and they would early morning before they'd go to work. They, their social hour early in the morning was to go and meet everybody at the time. It was the Kurtwood or the 
the fried pie was this place that my dad frequented when I was younger. And he loved doing that. And those were his friends. And they came together and they would share coffee. So it just makes sense that we see people gravitate to study together, to talk together, to have meetings at coffee shops. We, You and I have meetings with with other people at coffee shops. And George Clinton and I, that's where we always meet. <laughs> yeah. you, tore, you tore the roof off the sucker <laughs> at, at, a, at a coffee shop. But but it, it, it is it is interesting how comfortable you are in the presence of a coffee and tea shop to sit with someone and converse. And it's not like you couldn't do it anywhere else, but it just is comfortable to do so there. Yeah, and it's funny that you bring up the diner because I think the diner immediately walking in an old school diner and oh, you yeah. sit down in a booth, you are sitting down. You're going to chill. Like I distinctly remember being in even like after hours, like from, you know, partying when you're in college stuff, you go to a Denny's and you have coffee and you're sprawled out on that booth and you're just chilling for like yeah. a long time. I did that with my dad also uh, growing up in Omaha and we would go to, you know, just the local diner or whatever. And we would sit in the booth, he would read the paper and drink coffee and we would just kind of hang out. And that's, you spent time there. Then yeah. I'm thinking about Starbucks where it used to be. So I've always studied in coffee shops, like mm -hmm. all through med school. Like I do well with noise when I study. I can, it's too much quiet always freaked me out. I didn't study at the library. I sure. would have to go. And I always, I mean, I drink, I swing by Starbucks almost daily after I have my French press. So I'm having lots of. So he goes from coffee. good coffee to really crappy coffee. <laughs> anyway, it's my own personal. So when COVID hit, they put all the chairs up. And you can only get takeout. <laughs> and it's it, fun. Well, it was one of those things where you're like, wait a minute. Now reading this, I'm like, one of the great aspects of coffee Absolutely. is the social aspect, which has been shown loneliness is more dangerous than smoking a pack of cigarettes yeah. a day. Yeah. We are we are a social being. We are social. And if you want to socialize around coffee and tea, and we'll get into a few other things you can socialize around here. Mm -hmm. But so this was a, just a really kick-ass article to me because I'm like, yes, these guys are now looking at it. So then they started to speculate, okay, well, let's look at this from a cellular level. Okay. And what they did show was that the antioxidant compounds inhibit, and this is going to sound fancy, but you're going to recognize this in a second, nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide phosphatase, which is NADPH. Oxidase. Oh, interesting. In the mitochondria and decreased production of reactive oxygen species. So, in other words, it inhibits the enzyme that breaks down the energy. What's it called? The ATP? Well, it's the, there's the enzyme, but it needs the cofactor. Cofactor, yeah. Yes. So, it breaks down the enzyme that chews up the cofactors. Same reason why we take N-acetylcysteine, same reason why you take nicotinamide riboside. Right. I do both of those as supplements because I'm trying to increase my NAD um, pH. So the polyphenols block that so that you can have more of that, which is the thing that produces the ATP for the mitochondria, which allows the cell to function. So on a cellular level, they showed that that kind of helps. And that's one of the reasons why they thought maybe that's that's good. Then later on in this article... Uh, Wait, they just real quick, before we move on, if I'm following it correctly, because we've talked a lot about some of these compounds before, and enzymes yes. before, 
if we're doing that through NADPH, then effectively we are reducing the lifespan or exposure span of reactive oxygenation species, correct? Correct. Okay, so and that causes cellular damage. So that's why that would be important. Correct, yeah. So basically, if you don't have NADPH, damage happens to the cell, the cell gets injured, the cell grows old, the cell dies, that's by definition inflammation at a cellular level, which is why we age. Yeah, no, it makes it makes sense. And and then of course, yeah, well, I don't want to get in the in the weeds on that, but effectively we're stopping cellular damage by drinking. We're coffee. stopping cellular damage by drinking coffee. Okay, awesome. And then they went on. Um, they said for this reason, coffee is understood to be a beverage that can inhibit this oxidative stress mm-hmm. by producing this substrate. And then they did a whole other section on something that's near and dear to you and I, which is coffee component also induces the antioxidant activity and induces endothelial nitric oxide, Mm. blocks the enzyme that destroys nitric oxide also. So not only are we protecting the cell on the mitochondrial level, but we're actually protecting our blood vessels yeah. and allowing nitric oxide to increase blood flow. Um, and, and, well, if without blood flow, uh, the body goes into a mode of preservation or after a while of not getting enough blood flow or nutrients, then those cells, they pay a price. So it makes sense that if you're ensuring good blood flow, that you are preserving the cells that are fed by a vessel or a capillary bed. And if you, if you allowed something to be squeezed off, then you have ischemia and then cell death. And you have ischemia and cell death. And then once this process starts, so if you have endothelial damage, yeah. blood vessel gets damaged, then the horse is out of the barn. Yeah. And if you try and say, okay, well, I'm going to try and reverse this, then the good ingredients that you're getting aren't going to where they should. Yeah. And so you can't, you can't repair it that way. You can't, you can't get the stuff to it. And I just do this because we look at carotids yeah. to look, to make sure that your carotids are wide open. So you get the blood flow to the brain, mm-hmm. but this is making sure this is the preventative aspect of it. Um, I found one aspect of this, which is really interesting because whenever you and I are going to order some, um, during the day, if we're going to get some coffee from Taco Deli or something, yeah. I'm like, do you want coffee? And you go, yeah, get me a light or dark roast. What do you? Dark every time. Dark every time. I typically do light because I read someplace that light has more caffeine. And I'm like, yeah, I just want the boost. <laughs> so you're the smart one on this one because the taste and color of the coffee is produced mainly by a roasting process. This roasting process is a chemical reaction called the Maillard reaction. I learned about the Maillard reaction in cooking. Because when you take a, I like to sear my steaks, Mm -hmm. and I do a cast iron um, skillet, Mm -hmm. and then I'll sear them, and then I'll put them in the oven. I get the perfect fillets that way. When that seals that steak, that's the Maillard reaction. It does a little chemical reaction to create that seal. So the Maillard reaction in the roasting of the beans contributes to this antioxidant effect. As it turns out, dark roast has a higher polyphenol content than light roast. So yeah, it makes sense. Though. So doing the dark roast is actually probably healthier for you. Light roast has more caffeine content. Somehow during the roasting process, the caffeine goes down and the polyphenol content goes up. They get into a little of the chemical analysis of it where some polyphenol go down, but then other aspects offset it. But it gets really chemically. But yeah. it's just really wild that you can sit there and say, this is so cool that you can take this wonderful thing and you can, through human manipulation, improve it. 
which is roasting. You know, it's interesting, and just a side note, because you highlighted it, but when I was a really, really young, new coffee drinker, and I, well, number one, I learned that there were things beyond Folgers. I didn't, you know, when I was young, that was all that my grandmother ever You were made. fancy. We did Sanka. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you did. Uh, but uh, yeah, but there, there really were. There was only, it seemed like at the time, there was only five different choices in in brands of coffee, and there weren't types of coffee. It was just there was this brand, <laughs> and this is the coffee they make, and um, so I I often thought that dark roast meant like the heavy, like the heavy, the caffeinated or whatever, and I I didn't know that, but I liked the taste, so it's kind of crazy that I feel like that I've always gravitated towards the dark because the flavor is better, and then when I later learned that it actually has less caffeine, I kind of liked that because I felt like that it allowed me to drink more coffee without getting an over-caffeinated headache or something like that. So, uh, yeah. side note. So, that's interesting that you're always drawn to that, and I, that's something I learned looking, looking up all this stuff. So, now let's talk about, so the article basically summarizes that in, in the Japanese culture, coffee and tea is extremely common, 50%, mm-hmm. and 50% of the diet of polyphenolic consumption is through these beverages. So, now let's talk about polyphenols and diets. So, Studies have shown that people who have polyphenol-rich diets, in other words, Mediterranean-style diets, they consume more than 650 milligrams per day. Those people, in an article that was published uh, October 2020, a little over a year ago, they have lower death risks than those who get less than 500 milligrams a day. And what they're talking about is there's a dose dependency with this. So there is a really cool study that came out of Mallorca, Spain. And this is kind of funny here because it's a little bit different than the Japanese culture. They showed that the mean daily intake of polyphenols was 332. Now, Mallorca, Spain is kind of a fun place if you've ever been there. I only find this one interesting because their main contributor to the polyphenol actually was not coffee. Oh, It's alcohol. Well, good for them. I know. That's what I thought. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I've been to Mallorca, yeah. and I, I drank more alcohol than coffee while I was there. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful island. Um, so the total polyphenols was lower than what you would normally see, but it's also a vacationing place, and so I think that people tend to consume a little bit more. Red wine contributed to 17.7% oh, yeah. of the total polyphenols consumed. And polyphenol intake was highest among the alcohol drinkers. It was higher in education and high income levels and physically active people. Yeah. So what you have are these people that probably are on a vacationing island enjoying themselves, but probably when they're not there, they're doing things. They're they're well, they're doing things and they're probably drinking coffee back where they're yeah. where they're at. So it was just interesting to me because then it opened up this whole new world that alcoholic beverages were actually the major contributor to the total polyphenol intake, mainly red wine. And you brought this up when Ari Shafir was on Joe Rogan and he was talking about, oh, whiskey. I was told whiskey's good for you. Oh yeah. Yeah, what did he say again? I actually didn't watch that episode. Uh, he, he, he hopped straight into it. It's the first time I think I've even heard the word uh, just uttered by another guest on the show, just unprompted. But he said, yeah, it, Joe, you need to drink more of the brown whiskey because it's got it's chock full of polyphenols, so it's good for you. Yeah. That was his rationale. It's like drinking. In, I think it was followed up with Ari being Ari, and he just said, so you can drink as much as you want. You're good to go. <laughs> 
which of course it, <laughs> there's other things in, in whiskey that could be you, you can't go limitless but i found it interesting that we're at a point now where people are beginning to really readily recognize that polyphenols are associated with good health now there's we've gone through this a hundred times there's lots of deep science around polyphenols and there's many different kinds of polyphenols and how they work where they work determines what they're doing uh, from the gut out to the systemic circulation etc in the brain or in the lungs etc but i love the fact that someone like ari who is not a scientist he's a comedian just off the top of his head he knew that joe would appreciate that whiskey was good for him because of polyphenols so we're, we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Five years ago, that's never uttered. No one's saying that. No one's saying that at all. So we've come a long way letting people, letting people, having people gravitate and started to understand that there's an important natural compound, polyphenols. Why is it important? Well, it's it's not a small thing. There's a lots to talk about. There's lots to talk about. So... I did want to look at the commercial whiskey, and it has been shown to contain several polyphenols. I was surprised that in the polyphenol content, it is equivalent to red wine. Nobody ever talks about this. Everybody talks about red wine. Oh, it's got resveratrol. It's got this and that. It's got, But red wine also has the tannins. So the whiskey, I found out, this is kind of interesting. It contains several polyphenols, including elagic acid. Mm. Now, elagic acid, we always discuss because that's chestnut. Yeah. That is a hydrolyzed tannin, and it's several different versions of the elagic acid, and there's a creatively named whiskey tannin A and B. And so this was not a highly scientific article, which I'm sure that um, Sylvia, mm. our PhD, who she did her know. thesis on it, would just be furious, like creatively named whiskey tannin A and B. Yeah. You know, that's, <laughs> bottom line is, it sounds like they have a condensed tannin and a hydrolyzable tannin uh -huh. in the whiskey. Which you can't drink. It may have as much polyphenols as wine, but if you drink a, you know, eight ounce glass of whiskey versus eight ounce glass of wine, we're going to have some different problems. On yeah, that's where I was going to go next. Is is uh, that's probably just pure by pure volume, yeah. not by alcohol content. No, no, yeah, no, no. Yeah. yeah, it's just by pure volume. Yeah. So if you're going to try and match it, so in other words, <laughs> you're probably better off finding different ways to get that polyphenol content to at least 650 milligrams a day per the study that showed that they have lower risks of death than those that get 500 and less. I got a, I got a question, and maybe you said it earlier, but I think that when we were talking strictly about coffee and the benefits before we got into how polyphenols work and, and working for us, that you said coffee drinkers who are having, I think you said two to three or three to four cups a day, um, when compared to those who drink less, what about somebody who happens to drink a little bit more? Is there is there a comparison of, is there a uh, a rate of diminishing return, or is that not really what they studied? So according to the study, those that drank coffee and tea, the more they had, the more benefit that they had. Okay, I'm sure there's a, a point of diminishing return. I did go down a few rabbit holes where people. I did want to find the negative side of this. Sure, and there was one small study uh, years ago that discussed looking at those that drank six or more cups a day mm -hmm. potentially had a diminutive effect but there was looking at that study it was sort of it, it wasn't as eloquent as these other larger studies so some of the things much like the drink coffee get pancreatic cancer that's i mean clickbait has existed forever and it was ended up becoming kind of a clickbait type thing before the internet was even invented it yeah. was more of a 
more of a news stories and things like well, that. I think that our French press, you and I have the same sized one, is like 38 ounces or something like that. So roughly, after you add in the coffee and the water and let it boil and, and pour it out, you basically have four cups if you were to drink all of it and, for one person. And that's what I do. I have two tumblers, two travel tumblers that I fill up. They're both around 16 ounces a piece. Top them off, and I mean that's really all the coffee that I drink for the day. But I feel like that that's falling within the the zone. Yeah, for sure it is. So w- what my new standard is, and what I'm going to talk to all my patients about is, let's make sure that you're at least getting somewhere around 650 milligrams of complex polyphenols, yeah. stable polyphenols in your diet. And if you're not a coffee drinker, okay. If you're not a tea drinker, okay. How are we going to do this? Well. Let's go ahead and wrap up around this. I mean, we talk about polyphenols. There's a reason for it because our product, Atrantil, is based around polyphenols. And you're going to see a ton more science coming out. We're meeting with scientists all the time that are sending their their research theses around this. Is that a word? Theses? Thesi? Thesi? I don't know. The plural thesi? of thesi. thesi. A whole Let's stack go. Of, we have a stack of thesi. We have a stack th- of the office. Thesi. <laughs> so if you have a room full of PhDs with a bunch of thesi, what is, are the PhDs considered a gaggle with a room full of thesi? Or what is the term for this? I think it's called plur- a gang. A gang. Yeah. It's a, it's a gang of thesi. <laughs> it's a gang of thesi. Perfect. Well, this gang of thesi has determined that if you want to have the optimal amount, and we've talked about the optimal amount for sports performance, for sports recovery, which means it does the same thing, which is endothelial increasing blood oh, yeah. flow, get ridding of, get, getting rid of the reactive oxygen species. Um, Dr. Botel discussed that in her research where she showed that around 1,000 milligrams is ideal if you're an active person to do this. She even dialed it in even more specifically, which kind of really played into our into what we had already created with Autrontil, which was, she said, anthocyanidin-specific polyphenols were directly beneficial to athletes at 1,000 milligrams per day, uh, three days before contest, contest, and three days after that. And, and of course, she's not saying that you don't do it the rest of the year. That's just That was the seven days that they were studying these professional athletes to, to gather that data. Yeah. So if we're going to look at that, she also showed that you can have the equivalent of that would be eating five bowls of berries. Yeah. Or now we know you can have around five and a half cups of coffee. Mm-hmm. Or you can take two doses of Atrantil, which yeah. is 1,100 milligrams of large stable polyphenols. Yeah. So when we get into the aspect of does more equate to better in our lives and in my mom's life, we're taking in a lot more than the 650 milligrams of polyphenols every day, every single day, because you and I drink the coffee. We try to eat our fruits and vegetables. And in addition, we take Atrantil, which is a large, stable compilation of large polyphenols that then we go into all those aspects the way the polyphenols work, we've got different episodes on how that is. We've got the um, episode on how it binds gliadin, and so it decreases the inflammatory aspect of gluten. We've got the episode on how it gets broken down into smaller phenolic compounds. But And we've looked at those, and then we've you know talked about the different aspects throughout inflammation. We always come back to that. So ultimately, if you're not a coffee drinker, and or if you stopped coffee because you thought it was bad for you, 
outside of a few other issues of causing abdominal pain and possibly reflux, I would suggest getting back on it. If you don't want to do that, I would suggest getting your polyphenols in one way or another. And one easy way would be to make sure you at least get a thousand polyphenols a day. I totally agree. And I've got to say another endorsement of coffee is uh, my dad's mom, my Mimi. So she made coffee so stout and I was thinking of Folgers a little bit. <laughs> she made coffee so stout. Do you remember percolators? You remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's old school percolators. So she always made it in a percolator, and she made it all day, and she loved cigarettes. <laughs> she was, she, she really did. She, she should have had stock in Folgers and Winston. I think that that's, if she ate, I don't really know. But she was a great cook because she would throw a little bit of extra ash in there as she made the gravy. Yeah. You know? But uh, but Mimi was sharp all the way until the day that she died. I mean, literally until an hour before she died. She was lucid with it, smart as she could possibly be. And I her engine ran on, I know, co- cigarettes, yes, but coffee. She... Lo- but I'll say one th- funny thing about Mimi also, though, is she would always say, you know, I just don't sleep much. I don't know why. And I'm like, well, it could be the 78 cups of coffee daily. But uh, there, the, we, we look at certain people around the world and groups of people that we know that those people smoke a lot. And we're like, how in the world do they not get sicker than they are when we know that they do that? And there, it's a lot of it comes down to the foods that they eat, or probably the polyphenol intake that they have that kind of offsets some of the oxidative damage that would come from something like a routine cigarette. So, I'm not using it as an endorsement to go out and start smoking, also, but I'm just saying it's interesting that she did. She drank so much coffee, so much coffee, that she stayed sharp all the way until the end. And I was wondering if that played a role. Oh, you got me thinking a little bit because when we talk about different cultures, I'm thinking of the traveling that I've done. And so my father-in-law, Puerto Rican, we would, we would love it. He would just, we'd drive a little bit and he's like, he would just look at me and go, cafecito, Ken. I'm like, yeah, yeah cafecito, vamos. <laughs> and we would stop in some little hole in the wall and we nice. just have a little, we just have a little Cubano or whatever. And so the Cubans have this thick coffee there. The Puerto Ricans have their versions. Um, you go to Miami, you have that. It's some of the best. It's. It, I personally think it's one of the greatest things. It's like a version of an espresso that they water down a little bit, and it's just awesome. And then you look at uh, Middle East, Turkish coffee, yeah. very specific. After every, Whenever you gather, it's always around that. It's always around this kind of thing. So cultures do this, and I think maybe we've gotten a little bit away with it with the commercialization of the Starbucks or yeah. possibly the the run and go society of just grab your coffee and, and, you know, move, but sitting there and uh, yeah, think about that diner again. And it was the, it was the woman that would just walk around with the pot and just fill everybody up. And she's just walking. 100%. Yeah. Like it, like, a uh, the, the diner and the, the not the non Starbucks coffee shop. So let's just look at those momentarily. They are kind of the antithesis of everything that you just outlined on where society for years has kept pushing us forward. It's almost like that those have just kind of organically become a great place to go to because it's allowing people to still retain some of that element of slowing down. You go to a, a, a more traditional coffee shop now, you'll see people who have, they're walking in there. I'm not saying nobody goes in and just grabs a cup and go, but a lot of people go in there to hang out and meet other people and enjoy a laugh or a smile for 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And 
that's not really the model of Starbucks. No, the model right now, at least the one that I swing by on the way to work, right, just pop in and the service is great. They're, it's awesome. Sure. I, I, my credit card, is wave it over the thing and it, it takes it. But there's a whole wall of people that have ordered stuff on an app and they just run in, see their name, grab it, bolt. Yeah. And it's taken away from a little of the process of how beneficial this could actually be. Yeah. We're sitting around socializing. Almost gets me thinking that we should, Atrantil should host sort of uh, brain health meetings where people have coffee. We have a little bit of Atrantil, maybe some, um, some high polyphenolic foods, that kind of thing. I mean, I like all of that. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And socialization. Yeah. All of it. We could have a, yeah. So anyways, I found it fascinating. You and I have been talking polyphenols. We've always been saying we've been way ahead of the curve on this. And now, two, you know, these studies are just coming out right now. And this one just came out that made news. Like it was coffee, coffee, coffee. But you didn't say why. Now we know why. And I, I liked it mostly because I love coffee. So, I mean, and if it's going to help out, I mean, it, it's kind of cool to discover that something you've just kind of done on your own is actually pretty good for you. Yeah, that's awesome, because I know that ice baths are good for me also. <laughs> I hate them. You hate cold anything. <laughs> I hate cold anything. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it's cool, though. So I know we got a lot of coffee drinkers. Uh, many of our patients who come in and talk about the coffee, that they when you come in, what's the first complaint that people have when they come in to get scoped? I didn't have my morning coffee. Yes. It's the first thing that people ask for. It's what they want. They missed it in the morning. Which is awesome. I'm glad that that many people were drinking coffee already. And now we've got proof of why it's great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of interesting. Uh, I find it fascinating. I love the fact that we're right there in the middle of this and we can help people. And it plays to the thing that you and I have been saying forever. My why is to protect everyone's brain through their gut. Yeah, 100%. Well, I hope y'all enjoyed this. We had good news today. Yeah. Good news that y'all can take action on tomorrow morning. Yeah, and apparently Winston's, I don't know, our N of one or your N of one. It worked for her, for Mimi. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Don't Please do don't. that. Please all. don't do that. Uh, thank y'all so much for watching. Tune in for our next episode. Please like and share. And if you like coffee and you have friends, buy some coffee, have them over and tell them that you're helping them uh, with their brain health. So... Absolutely. So, yeah, we would really appreciate it if uh, you could share these episodes with people. We're really trying to just do the thing that we're passionate about, which is make people healthier, trying to do it in a fun way. And if you don't like coffee, remember, you can always have a couple doses of Atron Teal and have a very similar amount of polyphenols as six cups of coffee. Awesome. Hey, see you all next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.